Welcome to episode 134. Today, Dr. Holly Porter talks about how her district went from pullout to 100% co-teaching. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. I always celebrate when I hear teachers working together well. However, I usually hear them in pockets and scatterings around the districts. However, they're usually not district-wide. Rarely do we hear about an entire school district adopting co-teaching as the model of service for multilingual learners. That's what Dr. Holly Porter and her team did after several years of systematically thinking about the big picture of co-teaching and every single nut and bolt of the model. She'll also explain how pullout is problematic and why we should cluster students. Lastly, pay careful attention to her co-planning framework called LASER. Get ready to take notes and replay this podcast twice. Think about a superintendent or district leader you want to share this podcast with. You're about to get a master class in starting co-teaching from scratch. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm very fortunate today to introduce Dr. Holly Porter to you. You've recently published a book called Intentionally Designed Co-Teaching, a purposeful approach to multilingual learner programming and i was so excited to hear about your program because your district moved from non-co-teaching to fully co-teaching we'll get there we'll get to there in a second but can you tell us about your role in your district yes i'm the director of language supports and services and there's two parts to our district so there's language supports which is our programming model we provide language to our multilingual learners who are learning English as another language. And then we also have um, language services, which are translation and interpretation services that we provide to parents. Can you tell us a story about co-teaching that has shaped your practice to this day? Yeah, so um, when we were starting in our district looking at co-teaching, we were initially doing a lot of pull-out instruction. And so one of our teachers in one of our buildings that had a higher population of multilingual learners came to me and said, you know, I'm pulling out the kids in the class out to a separate space in a mobile outside the building. And I'm coming in and I'm taking about 15 of the 24 or so kids out of the classroom and taking them somewhere else. And they're losing time in transition. And then there's only a few kids left in the classroom. And so the classroom teacher is trying to figure out what to do when most of her class is gone. And so this teacher was wondering if she would be able to come in and do some work in the classroom with the teacher. And at that time, we didn't really have a full understanding of what co-teaching was, but we knew that it wasn't working to pull the kids out 
and walk them outside and have half the class um, or less than half the class left in the room. And so uh, we said to her, sure, you can try going into the classroom and working with that teacher in the classroom and doing some lessons together with all of the students. But what you're gonna need to do is keep track of the data because we wanna make sure that kids are succeeding um, in this programming model. And so she kept track of their reading growth and many other pieces of data um, for that time that she was doing that. And this was a pretty large school. So we had a, another classroom, this was second grade. We had another classroom of second grade uh, kids who were being pulled out by a different teacher. And so we compared the data between the two classes. And just by having that teacher in there during the literacy time, all of the kids in that classroom had an average of two levels more growth than all of the kids in the classroom next door. And so that was our first sign that we may be into something by not taking these kids out of the classroom. And that's when we started to really look at what models are out there that don't include pullouts. Um, and for us, we have over 155 languages. And so we looked at, you know, what's not going to be bilingual because we cannot do bilingual for that many languages. We, we have 15 to sometimes 50 languages in a building. Um, and one of our high schools actually has almost 100 languages in and of itself. And so what do we do in those situations? And that's, that was really the spark that helped us start to look into co-teaching. And so I'm always reminded of that you know, why would we take over half the class out somewhere else when we could be in there working with the entire class in their content area? Because teaching in two separate locations is not your definition of co-teaching. Exactly, exactly. We would never call that co-teaching. Um, even though sometimes people have co-planned together what they're gonna be doing in those separate spaces, um, that's still not co-teaching. It's just co-planning for two different lessons. So what would be your official definition of co-teaching then? So we define co-teaching as two teachers working in the room together um, for the needs of all students and sharing the responsibility for that entire classroom of students. And they're only in there for part of the day, but for that time that they're together, they are both the teachers in that room and they share assessment responsibilities. They share the teaching responsibilities. They both lead the instruction. Um, they share the responsibilities of monitoring the progress of kids. Um, and so the entire classroom is a shared experience um, in our co-teaching definition. So please tell us, how did your district move from pull out all the way to co-teaching? Because it seems quite drastic. So we're a very large district and moving from pull out to co-teaching took us some time. We have 65 schools in our district um, and that school that I mentioned that had moved the one classroom from pull out to more integrated, I'll call it, because it wasn't full co-teaching at the time. Um, it was one of our larger population elementary schools. And so we said, this has been such a great success. Is there anyone else who would like to try it? And most of the people in that same school were the ones who wanted to try it first. And so we kind of started piloting in, in that building, just stopping the pull out. It wasn't even co-teaching at the time. It was really just, let's stop pulling kids out and start going into the classrooms. And while they were doing that, we researched and found out that uh, St. Paul Public Schools had been doing some co-teaching with their multilingual learners back in the early 2000s. And we started this in 2007. So that was really the only basis we had at the time for any co-teaching that was being done that we could find. So we started researching their program. We called them. We found out a little bit about what they were doing. Um, we ended up getting um, Richard Villa's book, Richard Villa and Jacqueline Thousand and Ann Nevin's book, which is called A Guide to Co-Teaching. 
um, started looking through that. It was written more for special education. And so we started to adapt it for our own needs. But we really wanted to find out if we're going to have teachers in the classroom, how do we make it the most meaningful? So there was a lot of research on our end before we moved into that. And in the meantime, we were piloting having these teachers just go into the classrooms and, um, and be there and instruct with the teacher. But we didn't have a clear definition of co-planning, co-assessment, all of those things that are in our current definition of co-teaching. And so um, as teachers were piloting it, we were getting great feedback and they were loving it. Their classroom teachers were loving it. We had less parents signing the, the refusal of support <laughs> where they didn't want their kids to be pulled out. And since they were still in the classroom, they were like, oh, this is fine. If as long as you're not taking my kids out somewhere else and had the stigma attached to it, they stopped signing those refusals of support. And so it kind of moved slowly. Um, a couple years later, we had you know, various pilots going on, but some people then started to say, oh, co-teaching is not working. And so we would ask questions. Well, are the teachers co-planning? Because we knew that was best practice and we had told people you need to start co-planning. Um, and they would say, no, we don't have co-planning, but we're just going to stop co-teaching. And so at that point, we knew we needed to do something to calibrate and to have some, some way of supporting all of our principals and schools in what is co-teaching and what isn't co-teaching, right? What do we need to have in place if we're gonna be truly doing co-teaching? So we developed a rubric um, that we sat down with each of the buildings and, and sat with the principal and the specialist in the building, the English language specialist, and sometimes um, even some of the co-teachers in those meetings. And we would go over all of our expectations of co-teaching and those are all um, basically the chapters of the book that's um, in process. So each chapter talks about those various parts of our rubric. So, you know, we start with a school side of the rubric, what things need to be set up logistically at that school administrative level in order for it to be successful. In there, we're talking about time. We're talking about you know, clustering students into the classroom. We talk about ensuring that you have the resources that you need, the professional learning that you need, the time set aside for uh, co-planning and reflection making sure that it's a high part, a high priority in the scheduling of the building so that our co-teachers can be in grade level classes. And then once that part is set up, then we move into the instructional part of the rubric, which is the, actually the two teachers together. So are you co-planning? During your co-planning, are you bringing both sides of your expertise into the room? Are you having the content expertise and the language expertise to bring those two things together to have integrated content and language instruction? Are you talking about your different roles and responsibilities? Are you talking about the assessment of language and content? Are you reflecting? Are you making sure you have honest conversations about how to move forward? How are you managing conflict? Um, you know, and then what does it look like once that co-teacher's out of the room? So at elementary, what does it look like for the rest of the day for those kids? Because they're not just multilingual learners for the time of the day that you're co-teaching, just as they weren't multilingual learners just for the pullout time. They're multilingual learners all day. So what are you taking as a classroom teacher that you can spread out for the rest of the day and continue some of those same practices in the language development? And then for secondary teachers, what are you doing for the other periods of your day where you may have multilingual learners, but you're not gonna have that co-teacher with you? So um, that's the basics of our rubric, but it, it lays out all of those things that you need to have in place in order to be truly co-teaching. And it takes the mystery out of, you know, oh, it's not working. Well, if you have, you know, maybe there's one of these things missing that we can support you with to get you in a better place. And so that's kind of how we use it as a, as a goal creation device so that we can support schools in their specific needs. And then it also helps us with larger professional learning that we do at the district level. 
so you your transitions from stopping pull out right so let's talk about that why uh, why is pull out for some problematic well for us we were seeing um, with a pullout programming we were seeing really low growth of our students and at that time um, the federal government was doing adequate yearly progress so AYP so we were trying to look at <clears throat> you know how do we get our students to be able to meet and our schools to be able to meet AYP um, because we weren't meeting AYP. And so one of the things we started looking at was, you know, what other programming models might work. We had looked at some research about, you know, kind of the long-term effects of pullout and how it looks okay usually in elementary and then it kind of drops off because of all of those gaps that have been created. Um, <clears throat> we did see the uh, research around bilingual programming, but again, we had so many languages and we didn't even have clusters of students in any, any schools that we could start to even do a cohort of bilingual in any language. So we knew that was pretty much off the table for us. Um, and so that was really our impetus for change was looking at the growth and the performance of our students and it was not good. And, and we knew that we needed to do something. Um, and then along with this one teacher who said, I, I feel like you know, I'm fragmenting these kids' days and I'm not supporting this classroom teacher and the kids are losing all kinds of time by leaving the room. And so all of that kind of came together at once for us to say, we've got to look at something different, um, something more integrated. We had a neighboring district that kind of used coaches to go in and work with classroom teachers. They didn't um, have the resources to pull kids out. Um, so they were using classroom teachers kind of as their support, but then putting coaches in the room and the coaches would do some co-teaching every once in a while. Um, we had actually hired a couple people from that district. So they had that experience and they said, you know, some of this works pretty well. So we were putting a lot of different things together to try and figure out um, our model. But we, we also knew that we had, uh, we used to have cluster, or not cluster, we used to have center-based programs um, in our district where we would bus kids from their neighborhood school to a center-based program school where they received the EL pullout. And so the kids that were bus to the program had worse performance than the kids who stayed in their home school and were in just regular content and had signed our refusal of support because they didn't want to leave their neighborhood. They bought the house in that neighborhood for that school and they wanted to stay in that school. And so these parents, we had over 200 kids in our district who had signed these refusals of support and refused to take the bus to the center-based program. And their performance was higher by leaps and bounds from the kids who were bused to the center-based school and received pullout during the day. So that was also another sign for us that it doesn't work to pull kids out. And we knew it didn't work to pull kids out and we just had to find something better. Why do you think pullout doesn't work? Um, I think it doesn't work because there's a perception from the teacher that you're taking them to fix them. You're taking them to do something that they have something they need to have fixed and you'll bring them back and they'll be good and, and I'll find something for them to do. A lot of times it was, oh, go work on the computer because you don't know what we're doing because you came halfway through our lesson. And so go, go play this game on the computer, this language game, right? And so they would miss half of the instruction. They also don't have that same community in their classroom because as they're leaving the classroom, they're leaving the classroom for a reason. And a lot of times it's, it's explained that they don't know enough English. And so then the, the students don't know how to communicate and work with a student who doesn't know enough English and they're not given the skills and strategies to know how to have a conversation. And so the kids a lot of times get ignored in that classroom as part of the community. Um, I, I think there's a lot of different problems with that. Um, and I also think that 
you know, when I was a pullout, I was a pullout teacher in this district and I would take the kids from the grade level and I would do something related to what they were doing in their classroom. And I remember one day I, I came in and I had some written work that some third graders had done and they were doing work on Native American tribes in their classroom. And I came in and I said, look what these kids have written. This is what we did in our pullout group. And the classroom teacher looked at it and was like, okay, so how do we get them to grade level writing? And I was like, oh, you know, it was one of those things where I didn't have the understanding that grade level was here and I was getting the kids to here. And I thought it was great because they were the top of my group. And so the top of my group became grade level rather than grade level becoming grade level. And so I think that happens more and more. And I think sometimes when you get into small groups, it's easy to say, well, let's play a game of guess who that builds your language. And now what content have they missed to come in and play a game of guess who? So um, multiple problems that I see it fragments kids days, you know, they um, they don't have very much time in that classroom um, with their peers. And so. Um, Another reason why pullout can be uh, problematic is because the stigma that comes along with it, because uh, you really, you don't have a sense of community anymore. You have a sense of those kids, these kids, and not, not instead of kids together, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a perception that, oh, go fix these kids from teachers. And then from, from students, students like, oh, those kids are, don't belong here, right? And you know, separate is never equal. So when we separate kids, we have to be very careful of saying, is this, is our intention and impact the same? Because right? sometimes our intention and the impact are not. So I think you've given a very clear case of why pullout might be problematic. Let's move to talking about chapter two, which is about the structures of co-teaching. Will you talk about that? Yes. So the structures that we have um, put in place for our co-teaching program include classroom placement um, and time. And those things are so important for our administrators to understand if they're going to have a successful co-teaching program. Um, in the classroom placement, we talk about having consistent guidelines for placement of students into classrooms. And we do that based on their English language proficiency and academic needs. And so within each classroom configuration, you should have various academic language and peer models present. And so what we don't want to happen is, oh, there's a co-taught class. There's two teachers in there. Let's go ahead and put all the kids in there who need some support. That's not the purpose of co-teaching. It should be a heterogeneous mix of students. And so we look at clustering our multilingual learners into co-taught classes, but they should be about 40% of the class. That's our ideal. Um, so that 60% of the class is a heterogeneous mix of kids who have various academic proficiencies as well as some of them may be former multilingual learners, um, but all of them should be, it should be just a grade level class with about 40% of the class being multilingual learners as well. And so um, that's how we do our clustering. We also ensure that we have time built into the schedule for co-planning. That is so important that teachers have time to plan together. Um, it should be, you know, for our elementary grades K through five, it's usually a day a week that they go and they plan um, with each co-teacher during their normal co-planning time. And so we have specials, which are uh, music, PE, and art. And so when the classroom teachers have their students in one of those uh, specials, then they have planning time. 
And so our co-teachers go in and plan during their planning time on a Friday or a Wednesday. It's one day a week that they go in and plan, and then they plan for the other four days of the week to be co-teaching. So um, we ensure that they have at least 45 minutes a week with their teacher to plan for the next week. Um, at our secondary schools, they have common planning time. And so at least once a week, they come together and they plan for the next week um, and they have a shared planning block at the secondary level. So we make sure that that's built into the schedule. We also make sure that administrators uphold the expectation that all co-teachers participate in that time. So it's the understanding that we gave you the time, but we also expect you to, to participate in that co-planning time. Um, and that everyone in the building understands the purpose of the creation of those planning blocks. And so, you know, if I wanna meet with a teacher on third period, but they're co-planning, I need to understand that co-planning is going to trump everything. Like that has to be there and we need to find a different time. And so, um, because we have to understand the correlation between the effectiveness of co-teaching and the co-planning. Without co-planning, we don't have good co-teaching. And so all of that needs to be an understood and, and kind of the, the culture of the school. Um, it's also, we also make sure that our programming is identified as a high priority in the development of school schedules. So when schools are doing master schedules, they make sure that there are chunks of time that are content-based so that our specialists can be in content. They don't go in during intervention. They don't go in during times when um, it's not grade level. So maybe if it was like before lunch and they were doing a, a read aloud, sometimes at the elementary, you'll see that. They don't go into those times. They go only go into the four core contents and they co-teach during those. And so that has to be put into the master schedule. And so a lot of times it's, it's secondary level it's okay, let's create our schedule, but let's make sure we have this voice in here to put all of these things in place for our multilingual learner programming so that we don't create a time where they don't have co-planning or they don't get into a grade level content. So. I'm so impressed that you were able to get all teachers, all co, like co-teaching partnerships time to co-plan. Like, wasn't there any pushback from admin and teachers? Like, how did you manage that? So, of course, along the way, I mean, we've been doing this since 2007 is when we started the initial investigation. And so um, 2009 is when we started moving elementary and then we moved middle and high school. So along the way, of course, there were questions that came up. We had questions that came up from our teachers um, about, you know, this is my individual planning time and now you're making me co-plan. Um, you can't do that. <laughs> and so there were some questions that came up, but our master contract with our teachers says that teachers will have planning time. It doesn't say individual planning time. And so co-planning is planning. So just because you have another person in the room, it doesn't mean that it's still not planning time. Um, we're not asking you to go to a meeting. We're not asking you to go do duty. We're not asking you to do something completely different. It's still planning. It's just planning with another teacher, which has to be done because you're a co-teacher. So um, once we kind of got through some of that, the initial bumps, um, we still sometimes get a question or two from new teachers um, who say, well, isn't that, aren't you taking my individual and individual planning time? And we explain to them um, the same thing that, um, you know, planning, co-planning time is planning time. And the thing is, once they see the benefit of the co-planning, it, it goes away. It rarely becomes a, a long-term problem because once they have that person in there and they've been able to co-plan for a couple of weeks and they see how much benefit it has, 
not only for that time that they're co-planning, but for the rest of their day and all the things that they're learning from that about how to work with students, scaffolds and strategies, language development, all of that. Then they stop asking those questions. And then a lot of times they ask for more, more planning time. <laughs> so. I always tell teachers that um, my big epiphany during co-teaching was that, oh, co-planning is co-teaching. It's just another form of co-teaching. And you're right, if we don't co-plan, then we just have in-class support and the language specialist becomes an aid instead of an equal designer of instruction. And when co-teachers plan together, even when they're not there, the planning supports the instruction. Let's stay with co-planning just a little bit more. How do you structure co-planning time? By the way, I also love, when I ask you a question, I feel like you have, you have, you always answer this, like, this is what we think is this expectation and this is not the expectation. So I think that, I noticed that's the pattern. I think as teachers are listening to this, as administrators are listening to this, as district heads are listening to this, they need to have a really clear expectation of what they're looking for and what they're not looking for because then then they can define it because you even said no you're we're not looking for you to do duty during co-planning no we're not looking for you to do individual co uh, individual time individual uh personal planning time yeah. mm -hmm. there's no grading it's time to co-teach co-plan about the lesson with your language specialist so uh during co-planning um it's structured in a way that we actually have a template that we ask our teachers to use. And so that template is called our laser template. And it has, um, the reason it's called that is because we love acronyms in education and we had to put an acronym to our template, um, but it has five sections. So it has L, which is lesson and language targets. And that's when we talk about, um, you know, what's the standard? What's the, the standard that we're working on in content? And then what are the language demands underneath that standard? So if we're going to get to a proficient response, whatever that might be, an essay, a lab report, a presentation, whatever the students are going to need to do to have a proficient content experience, we need to analyze that backwards for the language demands. And so um, a lot of times we have our teachers actually write out what does a proficient response look like. So they actually put out an exemplar and then analyze it for the language. So we analyze it for the language for the discourse level, for the sentence level, and for the word level of that proficient response. And then within that, we start looking at how are we going to teach to those language demands? And we start looking at the functions, the forms, how we're gonna have kids be fluent using the language of whatever this language demand is for this content. And so that's one of the bigger parts of our, of our plan is to actually sit down and say, what is it we're expecting kids to be able to know and do? And what's the language under that? And then we can start moving into, okay, what do we already know about the kids? So that's our A, analysis of data. So let's analyze what we already know. What parts of this have we already done and kids have been pretty proficient at it? What are we gonna to need to work on more? What do we know about their language levels and how we might need to provide some additional scaffolding or supports based on their level of language acquisition? So analyzing all the data that you have. Um, and then we move into scaffolds and strategies. So we've analyzed the data. We know what our expectation is. S is scaffolds and strategies. Let's look at how are we going to scaffold these lessons to ensure that kids get to a level of being proficient with the content standard. And so what are our steps to get there? What things will we put in place? Will there be sentence frames? Will there be word banks? Will we have some different visuals or not? Because this is also the place where we don't want kids to be over scaffolded. 
So sometimes I see that we have kids who are really close to proficient and we provide them all these scaffolds and that's not helping them get to proficient because we're not challenging them and gradually releasing them to the proficient level. And so this is where we should be talking about what's the appropriate level of scaffolding, not just putting all of these scaffolds and strategies out there. And I think this is very important for that expertise, expertise of the language specialist to come in and say, I know that this student's at this level. And so we need to be expecting complete sentences. We need to be expecting different types of sentence structures, whatever it might be. And we don't need to provide all these visuals and all these word banks because that's just going to be a crutch for them at this point. They don't need all of that. They need to work towards getting to a native English proficiency level. Um, and so that's where we talk about all of that. In addition, that's where they talk about what are going to be our co-teaching approaches that are gonna best meet the needs of these lessons. And so it's gonna be driven by students as well as by the lesson. And so what makes the most sense for our co-teaching approaches to determine what we're gonna do? Are we gonna be supporting the students while we're out there? Um, are we, you know, someone gonna be going around and taking notes on what kids are doing? Um, are we going to be complementing the lesson somehow, enhancing it using different approaches where we're enhancing what's happening with the lead teacher by using a think aloud or modeling um, the, the written notes they're supposed to be taking? What, what type of approach are we going to be are we gonna be splitting the class somehow and doing small groups or just in half? Um, or are we going to be you know, kind of doing everything leading together kind of back and forth? And so that's when they talk about all of that. Um, and then we get into evaluation. So the E is evaluation. How are you going to evaluate that the kids have made the progress that you wanted them to? Where are they at with their language and their content? And then that'll determine what we need to do next. Um, and then R is roles and responsibilities. So that's when we talk about what, what do we need to do beforehand? So I need to get this ready. You need to get this ready. We need to have all of this and start assigning those roles and responsibilities. What are we gonna do during the lesson? So I'm going to take the lead on this part. You're going to take the lead on this part. Um, I'm going to, you know, whatever you're going to be doing during the lesson and then after the lesson. So after we're done, who's going to take these papers and grade them? Who's going to do this part? What do we need to do after the lesson? So, um, and that's for four days worth of lessons that they, they plan this out. So um, they get pretty efficient at it and they get pretty good about taking notes. Um, but that's, that's basically how we structure our co-planning sessions to make sure we get everything we need to for the support of multilingual learners, but ensuring that it's all integrated as well into that content classroom. Oh my goodness, I've never heard of that acronym before, but it's so helpful. It's so structured and it just makes it like saying, because I know that sometimes in co-teaching and co-planning, you can spend a lot of time talking about your weekend or how are your kids doing, mm -hmm. or but, but when you have a structure, of course we need that for relationship building, but wow, that when you put when you go into that laser acronym, you really laser into the lesson. And I would say the other thing that we really focus on is we don't talk about so much about what's going to be taught because the content teacher brings in that what of here's what we're expecting in this class. And so we don't talk about the what and what are we going to teach next week? We talk about the how. So we talk about, okay, this is the content standard. And then we analyze it for language. Now, how are we going to ensure that kids get to that standard and have the language necessary to be proficient. So I would add um, that as well, based on what you said. Oh, I like that. It's not just about the what, because the content teacher already knows the what. Now it's the 
what's the language or how will students use language to access to get to that content yeah that's nice and our language specialists also have the what on their end. So they know the language proficiency levels. They know appropriate scaffolds and strategies for language learners. They know all of those things as their what. And so you just, you bring your what to the table, but you talk about the how using your expertise in that session. Oh, that's gonna be a quotable moment. I'm gonna always think like, talk about the what, but more important, importantly, talk about the how. So it seems like a lot, since there was a shift, talk about, let's talk about ongoing professional development or ongoing professional learning to support this new model. So uh, initially, we obviously made sure everybody understood what co-teaching was, that we were moving to co-teaching and kind of all the aspects of our rubric, um, just as an initial foundation. However, as we go through the years, we continually use this rubric every year to go out and talk with people about what where they are because things change you get new co-teachers you get new classroom teachers you get you know new things new principles but we talk about where are you with the rubric this year and then at the end of our session with each school we make goals and so those goals become the school goals for professional learning and then we have our staff go out and provide whatever specific to that school for whatever they need at the district level, we pull out those things that every school seems to have one of those lower ratings. So our ratings are not yet somewhat mostly and completely. And so we start to look at what areas do we have a lot of our schools in the not yet and somewhat. And those become our targets for professional learning for all of our staff. And so we really looked at some things such as language demands. That's been a, one thing that we've been working on for a few years and functional language. So teachers were not necessarily trained on that in their programs and coming out of their universities. And so they don't have a lot of understanding of, you know, what is a discourse level language demand? What is a sentence level? What is a word level? And so we, we've had to go back in and do some training so that they can be expertise, they can have their expertise in their area um, of language. And so that's been one thing that I can give an example of the the rubric has been really helpful as we go out and we analyze from all 65 schools, where does everybody need some support? That ends up being our district level um, support for our specialists mostly, but we also provide um, integrated overview um, sessions. So if you're a new to co-teaching, you come to one of our overviews with your co-teacher and that provides you with um, just the basic information about the rubric and the sections of the rubric, but what does it look like? What is co-planning? What, is, what isn't co-planning? What is co-teaching? What isn't co-teaching? What are our approaches? All of those things. Um, we also have a five week class that we offer in the evenings. It's either five weeks or two full days in the summer. Um, and that goes more in depth. Um, it has co-teachers come together with their partners and we do a lot of work around co-planning, around personalities, around conflict management. Um, around, you know, understanding what co-teaching is and isn't. So it's kind of a bigger version of our overview. That's something that's ongoing for us. But mostly we try to pinpoint what each individual school needs and then provide the support out to the individual partnerships or to the entire school and all of their co-teachers, depending on what the need is. So I feel like I want to pause for a second to talk about relationship building. How do you make sure relationships are built because you have like the technical side of like laser the structure side but then uh, co-teaching is really about human dynamics how do you deal with that 
So, you know, we believe that successful co-teaching is going to require ongoing honest reflection and learning by the teams. So we have a time where we have intentional discussions between the partnerships about their pedagogical beliefs and their expectations for that co-teaching relationship. So they actually sit down and fill out some worksheets that we have them fill out about their beliefs. Um, and what are your expectations for co-teaching? What does your grading policy look like? What do you believe about grading? What do you believe about noise in the classroom? What do you believe about all of these different things? They fill it out individually and then they share with their co-teaching partner and talk about what are those things that aren't aligned and what are we going to do to kind of meet in the middle on some of these things and, and what might we have to say, I'm going to have to compromise on that or maybe we can both compromise and figure out a better way to do this. And so a lot about, um, you know, what is it that, that we expect and how can we make sure that we're as close to on the same page as possible? But then having shared that out, you understand that this person doesn't have as high of tolerance of noise level as I do. So I need to keep that in mind when I'm co-teaching because it doesn't bother me at all, but I know it bothers her. And so those kind of things help. Um, we also have them do some type of um, personality type assessment or um, you know, we've done Emergenetics, we've done um, Robin Jackson's Wheel Drivers, we've done um, True Colors. There's a lot of different things that we've done with teachers. So they talk about, you know, how does my personality or my thinking preference affect the way I come into a co-taught relationship? If I come in and I'm all about planning, right, I just want to get everything done, and you come in and you're a very relationship-centered person and you want to know how my weekend was, those are going to, those aren't going to align real well because I'm coming and trying to get something done and you're coming and trying to ask me about my weekend and I'm saying no. And you're like, no, I don't want to get to the co-planning. I want to know how you're doing. And so understanding those kind of things from each other can also help people compromise and then just know where someone's coming from. Because I like to say, you know, it's not personal, it's personality. You know, sometimes it's just how we come to the table and it's not that they're trying to be rude. That's just how they approach things. And that's just the way that they look at the world. And so understanding that about their co-teaching partners is huge. And then that leads into much better co-planning sessions when you can say, look, let's set aside five minutes to talk about how we're doing, you know, how our family is, because that really you know, builds me up. That makes me feel better to know a little bit about you. And then we'll get in and, and we'll time the rest of this to make sure we get through everything, whatever it might be. Um, if people can come together and compromise, that's helpful. Um, for the relationship. Oh, and also we talk about um, conflict and how do you manage conflict? Because conflict's not a bad thing. Conflict's in every relationship. And people sometimes think that if there's conflict, then there's something wrong. And that's not necessarily true. We have conflict all the time. It's just how you manage that. And so we talk through a lot of problem solving skills, you know, identify what the problem is, brainstorm some po possible solutions and look through and see, you know, what of these things are we going to try to move ourselves forward? Um, and then we do get the support of administrators if there's some conflict that just can't be managed between the partners, but we really like to put it back on the partners to say, you know, you need to think through this and figure out, does it have to do with our beliefs? Does it have to do with, um, you know, our, our, our pedagogical beliefs? Does it have to do with just our beliefs about co-teaching? Does it have to do with, um, you know, this new thing that just came about and you're really stressed out? And what is it that's underlying this conflict that's happening and how can we work through it? I feel like almost um, like the laser acronym, uh, you can have like one more word above it, maybe like another R 
or connect for like R for relationship or C for connecting, just like, and you like just a few minutes so that people don't just like jump in. It's already built in there, but most of it is already that like focus on the on, on learning part. I feel like I want to swing back to the, the logistics part. You talked about clustering several times. Like, I feel like that is the key to this because whenever I talk about co-teaching with people, they're like, I support 27 teachers and kids are all over the place. I don't have time. That's the biggest part of the time because of clustering, because of kids all over the places. So that's actually how we do our entire staffing model is based on clusters. So um, at the beginning of January, um, right about this time, I usually get lists of the number of students that are currently in our schools and start to look at what are we going to need going forward next year for staffing? Have we had increases in numbers, decreases, whatever that might be? And so the way I look at that is I take each individual grade level in a building and I see how many multilingual learners are in those classes. And so for us to look at a 40% ratio at the elementary, we use an average of about 24 kids per class. At the middle school, it's about 30 kids per class. And so we look at, you know, we don't have, want to have more than 10 in each individual cluster. And so then staffing is designed to where each co-teacher in the building can have about, at an elementary level, can have seven teachers that they work with um, because they can get through and co-teach in seven classrooms in a day. And that gives them time for the co-planning. And so it's about a seven to one co-teacher to classroom teacher ratio at the elementary. And I do that based on, you know, if I have 20 kids in second grade, it's going to be two to three clusters. So that would be two to three teachers that we would need co-teaching times that we would need to have. And so I do the same thing for every grade level. At secondary, I look at the number of kids um, based on 30 in a class. And so we can go up to about 12 um, and they get a 20% FTE for each grade level because we're at, at, at that point, you're in periods and you're in classes. And so you can't go into one period for 40 minutes and then the next one for 20. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So they get assigned to about five because we have five core um, every day. So, so at the high school, middle school and high school level, it's five co-teachers uh, or five content teachers per EL co-teacher. So it's seven at elementary and five at secondary. And that's just how we do our ratios. And so if students are not clustered appropriately at the building, if that's not being done, the co-teachers are not going to have enough time to be able to go and work with each teacher. And so that's a conversation with principals when they say, well, they've got 12 teachers they're trying to work with. And I say, well, how many kids are in each class? Well, we split them up. And then I said, well, that's, that's why it's not working because you split them up. We designed it so where you would have a cluster in each grade level. And then that helps the principals understand, oh, that's how these two things are tied together. We're gonna have to make sure that we go back and look at our master schedule and really make and, and hand schedule sometimes these kids into the correct classes so that we're not overwhelming our specialists. And so the whole rubric brings itself back around, especially with the staffing because they're not going to have enough staffing to make it work if they don't cluster appropriately. Oh my goodness, the audience can't see as you're when you're speaking. I'm just my jaw is dropped. Like my drop. I'm just like, <laughs> you need to not teach anymore. You need to like say you have one more year to work at your school district and then take this on the road. 
I do actually take it on the road. That's probably why I can just speak to it really quick because we do trainings. We've been doing trainings for state of Idaho for about seven, eight years now um, because they adopted our rubric and they actually gives a grant out to districts to start implementing co-teaching. But the requirement is that we come train them. <laughs> so, so I do that in Idaho. I do it in our state all the time, all over. Um, and then I've gone to, you know, a few other places um, and, uh, and we've done Utah, we've done Texas. So yeah, a few different places we've gone. Of course, it has to fit into my schedule, but um, I've got three and a half years left in my, I can retire, so. And retire and then keep doing this with us. So that's what, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to do is just kind of continue on with some, some trainings and things. Consulting, so. But right. thank you for that, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> so let's talk about chapter five, uh, which is about sharing the classroom. What does that look like? So this is really about our approaches. So sharing the classroom and how do we ensure that both teachers are co-teaching in that mainstream content classroom with each teacher having a substantive role in the instruction. And so we want co-teaching teams to effectively and intentionally choose a variety of co-teaching approaches. And so um, the approaches that we talk about are, are you gonna be supporting the students? Are you gonna be doing something in that classroom where one of the teachers is kind of leading instruction and the other one's supporting in some way. So going out and doing some type of assessment on kids or individually supporting students or what is that intentional role that you have? This is not an approach that we would be using every day, but there's a lot of benefit to going out and being able to step back and look at what am I seeing for more of a supportive role in this classroom rather than the lead? And I will tell you that the content teacher sometimes is the one who learns the most from putting themselves in that supportive role. If they have the other teacher leading instruction, they can kind of walk around the room and support kids. And I had one teacher who told me that they did that in the classroom and she was walking around supporting the kids in her class. And there was this kid who was constantly having these behaviors and he was standing up and he was always moving around the class. And when she sat down next to him and got at his level and was kind of right behind him, she could see there was a huge pole in the way and he couldn't see her where she normally was in the class. And she moved his desk over and almost eliminated all of those behavior problems. And so there's a lot of benefit into getting out into the class and kind of seeing how it is from that perspective of the students, taking notes while you're out there and doing whatever, but it can impact co-planning. It can impact things like where the kids are sitting, um, behaviors that you might not notice when you're up there leading the instruction. So um, a lot of that can, can happen during that supporting the students time. Um, then we move into splitting the class. Um, and so splitting the class is, you know, taking the time to either set students up into particular groups that they might be rotating through and both teachers might have a different content skill that they're working on or something that they're going to be doing as part of the lesson and the kids would rotate through all of those. Um, it could also be that there's a small group that needs to finish working on their topic sentence and everyone else is moving on. And so that small group goes and works with one of the teachers on trying to get that hammered out. And the rest of the class is still working with the other teacher walking around and supporting. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways that you could do that. You could also split the class in half and one class could be doing a debate, half the debate, um, one side of the debate and the other class could be doing the, the other half the class can be doing the other side of the debate. Um, a lot of things that you can do when you split the class, but it's always intentional. It's not just let's split the class and, and we'll both do the same thing um, just to split the class. There's always a reason to be doing that. 
Um, and it also shouldn't be something you do every day. So it's not like reading groups. We are really intentional about not putting our co-teachers into elementary reading group time because then it turns into reading. And our specialists are there for language and scaffolds and strategies. They are not reading teachers. They may be really good at teaching reading, but that's not their role. And so we don't want them to get stuck into reading specialists when their role is language and it's language of all content. And so reading groups do not count in my mind as a way of splitting the class. And so we don't have our teachers going into reading groups. Um, we also have teachers going and enhance the lesson somehow. So if you go in and you're enhancing what one teacher's leading and the other one's doing some kind of modeling or some kind of um, way to show the students visually what's happening, modeling, taking notes, maybe doing a think aloud, any of those kind of things add to enhancing the lesson. So you're not necessarily supporting individual kids, you're enhancing the lesson itself. Um, and then we get into, you know, leading together. So this is that time when you would be kind of going back and forth as the lead teacher. And so it might be, I'm doing even steps of the problem and you're doing odd steps of the problems, or um, I'm going to be talking about the very beginning of, you know, we're doing claims, evidence, and reasoning. I'm going to be talking about claims and what do claims mean? Then you're going to go in and talk about evidence. Where do I find my evidence? How do I find evidence? And then I'm going to come back and talk about reasoning or, or whatever it might be so that they're going back and forth. But even during that time when one's leading and the other one's not leading, that person should still have an intentional role in the room, whether it be supportive, um, some kind of complimentary, they're getting something ready for the next part. Everyone needs to always have a meaningful role in that classroom so that it doesn't become one teacher's leading, the other one's just standing there doing nothing. So um, that's one thing that we make sure we really have when sharing the classroom, that truly everything has a purpose and is meaningful to the lesson and for the students. Right. It's inten intentionality. Right? Yes. And that goes back to uh, the laser focus of the laser model that you have. I really appreciate this new version of the six models of co-teaching. Uh, co You've just really made it really elegant and really clear for us. Let's go to, let's spend just a few more minutes to talk about instructing for language through content. And then I'll end with my uh, metaphor questions. Okay. So the instructing for language through content is really just taking all of the things that we've talked about above and just putting it into practice. And so we wanna make sure that when we're co-teaching, students have rigorous and cognitively demanding instruction, but also learning the language on the side. So it's aiding in their acquisition of English and making that core curriculum accessible to them. And so when they're in the classroom together, co-teachers should be delivering lessons that integrate content and language. And so they have those language demands in them. They don't just plan for them, they actually teach them. Um, that they're attending to language development needs. So they're explicitly teaching functions, forms, fluency, all of that to the students. They're, they're employing appropriate scaffolds and strategies and using co-teaching approaches that make sense for the lesson and for the students in front of them. Um, and ensure that it's used to make content comprehensible for the multilingual learners. Um, when they're doing grouping structures, they're flexible, they're intentional. It's not a pull out inside the classroom. It's very intentional about the needs of students because it could vary from day to day. Um, and then we've talked about it before, but the instructional piece of that classroom content teacher maintaining a lot of those scaffolds and strategies and language development beyond the time when the co-teacher's in there. That's one of our ultimate goals is that this can continue and we're building the capacity of the teachers to be able to do this without the co-teacher in the room with them. So it's a job embedded professional learning. Uh, for them. 
I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, because I, I know the audience is like, okay, so ask her, tell, ask her to, to tell about how are her teachers responding to this program now, this new model? What does it look like? What are they saying? So our teachers who are in the model and love it can't say enough good things about it. I mean, even our classroom teachers. So our classroom teachers, I, there's one that we have a video of that she talks about, you know, I didn't really understand this. I had this teacher coming in and, you know, I was always the sage on the stage and how was I going to have this person come in here and was I going to have to plan for them and whatever. And, and now she's to the point of, I can't do a lesson without her. And so it's so important for me to have that person in the room co-planning with me because I, I'm not able to even think through things anymore without this other person supporting me. And so to come from being so confident in your content to a place of, if you're not here, I don't know what to do, is a shift. Um, we have had teachers who, of course, this wasn't their thing, and they have said, this isn't my thing, and, and I want to move on and do something else, because they know that in order for it to be successful, it has to be something that they believe in, that they, they want to do. And so our teachers who are in the program, they believe in it. We have teachers come from other districts who apply specifically to our district because they've heard about the way that we do instruction. And so we tend to hire people who want to do this. Um, out in our buildings, we also have principals when they're hiring even content teachers, they say, we do co-teaching. And so tell us about your experience with co-teaching or what you think about co-teaching. And if they are anti-co-teaching, a lot of times they don't get hired. And most of the time they won't get hired. So um, that's kind of one of the ways that I would say our program has just become part of the fabric of our district. And um, it is just how we do things. And all the way up to our superintendent level, we have, you know, I've been in this position long enough that we've had people move from principal level to executive director, to assistant superintendent, even to our superintendent. And they've all gone through this rubric with me. And so if anybody ever has a question as a new principal, they understand the rubric and they can say, no, this, you know, this is the rubric and this is what we do and this is how we do it. It just has become part of the way we do things. Okay. We have to get access to that rubric in that book. So okay. let's end with this traffic light teaching in terms of uh, co-teaching. What is something that you ask teachers to stop doing? That's the red light. What do you ask teachers to start doing? That's the yellow light. And in the green light, what can should teachers keep on doing in terms of co-teaching? Okay. So um, what we ask teachers to stop doing is stop pulling out. <laughs> That's the main thing is stop pulling kids out of the classroom or stop pulling them to the back. Stop putting ELs in this homogeneous group of kids. They are not homogeneous and they should not be placed in a homogeneous setting. So that would be the, the biggest thing that we ask teachers to stop because you can't be co-teaching if you're still pulling kids out. <laughs> um, then one of the things that we would ask teachers to start doing is to really honing in on the intentionality that you have with your, your expertise that you bring to the planning table and really looking at planning the how from your levels of, uh, from your areas of expertise. So if I'm the content teacher, I know I have to bring content. If I'm the language specialist, I bring language. And even if I've been in one of those other roles before, I need to act in my current role. And so making sure you know your role and that you bring that to the planning table and to the instruction. Um, and then I would say for green, the one thing that they should continue to do is continue to monitor how things are going. 
and have conversations about what's working and what's not working and make those changes along the way. And so continue to have that reflective mindset of how can we do this better? What worked well? What do we want to continue doing? And keeping notes of those things so that you can continually improve your craft. Ooh, Dr. Holly Parter. Let me I don't know. I did that. I did that all like how did you do all of this to um so this book needs to be mandatory reading for every language specialist co-teaching in the future i am so excited for this book to be published you will be so busy in your retirement teach going to school districts every single day to implement this such systematic approach to co-teaching. You've thought about the big structures, but also every single nut and bolt throughout. So you have That's been a funny gift. That you, Go ahead. Can I say something about that? Yes. That's funny. Have you ever done emergenetics? Do you know what emergenetics are? No. Okay. So emergenetics is like a thinking preference profile. And it talks about, you know, whether you think in certain ways. And I'm um, a thinker that's less than 2% of the population because I think big picture details. Um, and so it's funny that you say that because everybody's like, you're like some kind of weird anomaly, like, you know, but, but it's, it is really, it's that big picture. And then how do I do it? And the big picture and then the details. So that's funny that you say that, that you notice that, cause that's totally how I think. <laughs> well, that's why you're not an anomaly, you're a gift, a gift that <laughs> districts and stu students and schools need to get the big picture but also the small and minute details that you've thought all about it. So thank, Whew, you. thank you so much for this conversation. Yeah, thank you. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. Did you not just love the clarity in which Dr. Holly Porter described her district's approach to co-teaching? The word that comes to mind is intentionality. Take, for example, the LASER acronym to co-planning. This acronym structures co-planning so that it is intentional and focused on how rather than the content alone. How meaning, how are we going to have students access the language of the lesson? Lastly, the system that Dr. Holly Porter put in place would not work if we didn't have clear parameters set by a rubric, such as co-planning time, a master schedule that honors co-planning and co-teaching, and intentionally clustering of students. If your district is interested in creating a systematic co-teaching program, Dr. Holly Porter's book is the first resource to study. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.
shine.